Hey everybody, my name's AJ. And I'm DC Pock. And this is The Wealthy Idiot Show. Before we go any further, please make sure to destroy the like button for the YouTube algorithm. It helps us out tremendously. We're just a couple of guys who are self-proclaimed idiots who have figured this out at some point. And if you're in the same boat, you know, we could really appreciate a like and subscribe and all of us can get wealthy together. And uh, we're well on our way. So we're just gonna try and share to you with you guys what we've learned. The purpose of this format is that we want to talk about whatever's happening in the news. So recently, the Federal Reserve came out with a statement and I'm sharing it here so that you could see uh, housing prices could plunge 20% the Dallas Fed warns America's home prices could plunge as much as 20% oh get rid of you as much as 20% due to the sharp rise in mortgage rates in 2022 which are drastically increasing home ownership costs and boost the end boost the odds of a severe house price correction according to the research from the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas now I've been saying this all summer um, originally Dave Ramsey said that the housing prices won't drop. Housing prices never drop, um, which is interesting seeing as he filed for bankruptcy because housing prices dropped, but he was saying, don't worry, people continue to buy houses. And then eventually he changed his statement to, um, housing prices may drop in the short term, but it won't be in the long term. It'll be okay. And this whole time I've been saying housing prices have to drop at the end of the day, you know, the basic consumer investors, everybody looks at housing prices in terms of monthly payments. And when you look at a housing price in terms of monthly payments and interest rates go up, the monthly payments go up. And so people's buying power drops. We've done the math on this show before. If you increase um, interest rates by 1%, you're decreasing buying power by 20, uh, 10%. So it's a one, 1% to 10% ratio. And then we looked at the numbers for housing prices over the course of the summer, and we could see that housing prices had continued to go up, and then it flattened off. And you could see that in the flat part, that's where buying power met supply. So in that supply and demand chain, buying power finally met supply, and then we started to see a slight decrease. And this is when Dave Ramsey started to change his language. So I've been saying for a while there has to be a correction. It's too high. And all the, the stuff around the housing market has been really weird. Just, you know, over the, just, just to start with the pandemic, it's been really bizarre. And then to go through now, we're in a place where we still have a really low amount of houses on the market, which is pretty bizarre. Like, no, even after pandemic, people aren't moving. But even still... The amount of demand for houses has dropped past, you know, even past that point, which has been pretty crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I'm, you know, you got me thinking a little bit here. I just want to put this in perspective for our watchers. Um, you talk about the difference interest rates make toward buying. I mean, I'll give you an example. If you're buying a $300,000 house at 3%, your monthly payment without uh, property taxes and insurance is twelve sixty five. dollars If you do that same house today at 7%, your monthly payment's gonna jump to almost 2,000. So you're buying the mm. same exact asset. There's no difference. The house hasn't changed. I mean, would we agree that a $300,000 house today is fundamentally the same as it was in January? <laughs> I, Maybe worse. It might be worse. It might have a right. worse roof from a hailstorm. It might storm. have a, I don't yeah, know. more wear and tear. Absolutely. So, I mean, you're paying, let's call it seven to 800 more a month. Uh, in your, that's forever at least until you can refinance for the same exact asset. So I think, you know, Dave Ramsey had to make this realization. I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, it took him a little bit to get there, but he finally did. And I think realistically, if you take uh, the millennial and Gen Z 
uh, home buyer group, which have largely experienced really low interest rates, I think 7.5% could be a shock. I, I think it looks kind of crazy to me. And, and I kind of understand how interest rates work. And I really get that 7% isn't that bad, but trying to convince the rest of the millennial <laughs> Gen Z population, that's hard, I think. Well, we, we just had like, I mean, not even a whole year ago, we just had like 2.25%. Yeah. Right? So, so to go from that to seven is a lot of buying power. Yeah. My, my primary, uh, my primary mortgage rate is 2.125%. So <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to do the math on my own mortgage. So I'll go ahead and disclose this. My, uh, my refi was $360,000. So at 2.125, that monthly right. payment would refi. be approximately 1350 a month, no property taxes and insurance. If you move that to 7%, it goes to 2395. So that's over a $1,000 increase. So if you ask me right that's now, crazy. is there any circumstance in which you'd like to pay $1,000 more a month for your home? I would say no. <laughs> that's <laughs> for the same home. For the same home. It hasn't changed. Now, like you should pay off that mortgage, right? Like regardless of what that interest rate looks like, like why haven't you paid it off? So 2.125% as a, as a base <laughs> interest rate, I don't think I'll ever pay off. Uh, I actually regret not cash out refining at 2.125%. That was a mistake, Ooh, but at, at the time yeah. it was, it is what it was or is what it is. Um, you know, so I think if you have a really low interest rate, am I confident that I can beat 2.125% in the stock market? Yes. Am I confident that I can beat 2.125 using a CD ladder or a high yield savings account <laughs> right now? Yes, I right absolutely now. am. <laughs> yeah, right. So, why would yeah, you pay off? You don't understand. The economy could drop and interest rates could go up at any moment. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know what you're doing here. You're playing devil's advocate and I see it. But, <laughs> you know, your mindset has to really come down to do I have to pay for housing and you know how long am I gonna have to do it well I'm gonna be working for at least in the next 15 20 years and I think in that time it's reasonable to just keep paying for housing so I don't know what the net gain would be to pay off a 2.125 mortgage now that being said if if you have a 7% mortgage and you believe interest rates are going to stay high for a long time it may be worth prepaying a two point or a 7.5% mortgage I, I could make a different argument on those numbers so that's a that's a good call out I like um the property that I'm purchasing right now has a 6% rate attached to it, which I'm not the world's biggest fan of. It's high. Yeah. Um, it does really trim my margin down on this um, investment property, but I've got the other investment properties to cover for it with rates as low as 3%, right? So it's, it's somewhere between three and four for all the other properties. And so like average out that interest rate, it's still pretty low. Like it's yeah. still probably before, uh, below 4% if I was to average them all out. Um, all of them together will make money. And then at some point in the future, you know, I can, you know, refi and uh, get a lower rate. So I'm not terribly concerned about that part. What's interesting um, is that the Federal Reserve has said that despite the fact that um, inflation seems to be leveling out, that they're going to increase interest rates a few more times they're still going to go at it. They're still feeling like there's too much cash in the system. Um, so yeah. I, I pulled up the numbers here on Redfin so you could see this is what the median sale price has been just in the whole country, right? And we could see a pretty significant drop at the top, you know, going from here, May, you know, down to, looks like our bottom here is sometime in October and November. You know, because this is a four-week average. 
Right, so we're hitting, we're going to get real close here to like all the gains that we saw over this last year to just totally disappear. Like, I mean, we're going to hit this point at some point here. And then if the Fed is saying that they're going to raise interest rates even further, um, and th and they're saying that there's going to be a 20% drop from now, not from the peak, right? Because we've already seen that. <laughs> yep. We're going to see a 20% drop from now. So this is a lot of dropping that's taking place. Yeah, and I think uh, I think right now a lot of those drops you've gotten are the maybe the lesser popular places. So I think right now mm -hmm. if there's you know you're talking about the cities that have just caught fire. I mean parts of Jacks or parts of Florida have gone absolutely haywire. I think Texas has exploded. So you have some cities that are probably you know doing more than others to hold those home prices up. So I think if you start catching some declines in those really hot markets, then we're going to see that number go down a lot, and that's probably what we haven't seen yet. Yeah, you could you could see that here. I pulled up where I'm at, right? Um, obviously, we're going to drag the national average down pretty significantly. Yep. A lot of these really expensive so, metropolitan areas. Yeah, so like, pull up like Austin, at, Texas. I do like Austin, Texas. I know. <laughs> oh, I mean, it still dropped pretty significantly here. 573 well, down to 467. What about Denver. Is that a is that an up and coming place? It is. Huh? Yeah. Still seen a drop. Not a little bit quite less. as so, big. But yeah, so still I, there. I guess that's what we're gonna see is depending on popularity of the city and the growth rate, it's gonna drop a little bit less. Not obviously as we're looking at it's not a not a really big number, but still there is a gap. Well, let's take a look at this. What's this is what's interesting to me. These are pending sales. So at the same time as the prices have been dropping. Pending sales have been dropping. Yep. Like less people are leaving their houses, less people are moving. I do think that's a little bit weird because in 2008, um, you know, obviously 2008 was an anomaly because of the fact that um, we gave a whole bunch of loans to people who couldn't afford them. And then we gave them some more loans after that. <laughs> so then, yep. you know, a lot of foreclosures <laughs> were taking place that just aren't taking place today. But the fact that prices are dropping and the amount of houses that are on the market are dropping at the same time kind of defies the supply and demand curve, right? We would expect, like, as supply drops, the demand goes up for the, the properties that are left over. But that's not been the case, which means demand is dropping significantly further than yeah, I don't, uh, supply. Right? I don't really think that's a choice. Again, I think interest rates have hit the point where when people are seeing a $1,000 monthly increase on their projected payment, I think that's forcing people out of the market. So I don't think people are choosing not to buy. I don't think they have a choice. I think it's... So, uh, so then, um, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's correct. But like, yeah. why are people choosing not to sell? Uh, I like would Theoretically, if we're at the top of the market and the well, Fed is saying it's going to keep dropping, why, why are people holding on to these properties? I mean, I'll give you an example. So if you're like me, I'm in a 2.125% mortgage. I mean, you could make me a great offer on my house right now. And if I can't replace that house for cash, I mean, I will be mm. taking a high interest rate loan today. So I think it's a hard sell. Even if you have a ton of equity in your home and you're going to make a ton of money, do you want to use that equity to buy the next property and bridge the gap of interest rate versus down payment? I, I don't know that you do. That's valid. What if... So, I mean, you weren't going to sell anyways, though. So you're, you're nope. like, you know, your anecdote yeah, is tough because, yeah. Um, let's say I owned here. Let's, and I thought the housing market was going to drop pretty significantly. I could sell now, then rent, then turn around and rebuy and make like 
you know, 400, 500 grand in where I live right now, if that was the case, like I could make that much money probably within the next year, some change. Yeah. You right? could, it's market timing though. So again, you're, you're getting yeah. into the, so everyone's an expert until they're not an expert. So it's easy right now to project <laughs> this. I think it would be harder to put our money where our mouths are and actually do it. So I, I see what you're saying though. I think that's valid. I'm, I'm just saying like enough people out there have got to be looking at it, right? Like it just seems weird to me. At some point supply has got to start going back up. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I'll be interested to see in the next few months. So. Look at that year over year, negative 37%. Yeah, that's crazy. Like this is weird. I don't, I don't understand it. So here's 2021 for reference. A lot of houses, right? So it looks like there's a drop at this time of year anyways. Yeah. It's holiday season. Yeah, people yeah, don't want to true. move during Thanksgiving, Christmas. So then what's going to be interesting is what happens in February to May. Absolutely. Next year, 2023. So that's going to be the time to watch out for. February to May, the Fed is going to raise interest rates some more. We're going to see that. There's probably going to be more supply. Buying power is not going to go up. So I don't know. We're going to see either like a significant drop in... Um, housing values. And then my net worth is going to, is going to take a huge dip <laughs> since I have a lot of real yeah. estate. Um, and then we're going to see, I don't know, maybe a whole lot of investors start buying stuff up at some point. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. you know, you and I will for sure. Yeah, definitely. So, um, that is a good transition point here. So if we are going to get to the point where housing prices are going to dip and investors are going to want to buy it, we're going to want to have cash on hand, ready to go. No, you wanted to talk about Christmas shopping. So hit us. What do you got? All right. Christmas shopping. Uh, and, and this will be quick. I think it's just, a you know, you're talking about the housing market and we're about to talk about the exact opposite of that. And we're really going to go to the far <laughs> extreme. And the reason I say that, uh, you know, if you want to stop sharing your screen, I'll share mine. Yes, sir. Uh, so ahead. we've got this this situation where the projections are that this is still going to be a slam dunk uh, holiday shopping season. I mean, how is that possible? So if you uh, if you could see what I'm sharing now. All right, I got it. Yeah, so this, I'll just read the title and I'm going to go to a specific excerpt. But uh, this holiday season could be the last hurrah for consumer spending before economic slowdown, right? So that's a, that's a pretty crazy statement. Like basically, hey, everyone thinks the economy is crashing. So we're going to go spend a whole bunch of money and then it's going to crash. Does that make any sense? And then I mean, um, the last episode, we looked at the amount of savings people have and it's like next to, next to nothing, right? I mean, it's the lowest since like 2008. So yeah, what you're terrible. saying is with almost no savings and we all know a recession is coming and we all know house prices are going to take a giant dive Yep, that people are just going to YOLO everything they've got into Christmas. Yeah, and if you could, I'd like you to throw a link up on the screen. Um, I, I wrote an article this week or late last week, and it was about Christmas shopping. And we'll have that on the screen for you guys. And it, it talks about different ways to save money for Christmas. And the reason I wrote that article is because one of the statistics is that 68% of holiday shoppers don't save money for holiday shopping. So mm. 7 out of 10 people do not actually save money for Christmas shopping. So you got to ask, you know, what does that do for the budget? How does that impact your start to the next year? I, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of questions about that. But, you know, I want to point so out. going to put it on debt? Is that what you're saying? I mean, what else? Unless they're it's robbing credit people. cards. I mean, <laughs> I guess if they're a pickpocket, then they're fine. But, I mean, yeah, they're absolutely using debt. 
Oof. Yeah, so, I mean, if you scroll down in this article, um, this is the one that really kills me. Uh, last hurrah. In a recent report titled 2022 Holiday Sales, Wells Fargo economists forecast another healthy holiday season, um, even if a little more muted than the past two years. So, you know, despite the pandemic, holiday sales have grown at a historic pace for 20 and 21, and they're con- expecting it to at least pace 2021 for this year. I mean, so... Mm. We just got done talking about interest rates being seven and actually seven is low. I think the average interest rate today is 7.56%. So we just got done talking about that on the same episode. We're shifting to holiday shopping that we're going to pace 2021 shopping in 2020. Now let's keep in mind in 2020, 2021, we had insane stimulus check conditions that are unheard of. So we don't have that now. So you have to ask where this money's coming from. And now we're talking about, you know, holiday spending is going to, be great and then we may crash right after that it's just a whole bunch of conflicting theories for me i mean what are your thoughts i mean i've been advocating like you know i've I've been saying that there's going to be a recession coming up here for a long time right and i don't want to be that guy that's like you know oh i predicted it y'all should have listened like I've, i've just been pointing at the the data and i've been saying like this doesn't look right everything looks a little weird the fact that um you know, we're, we're talking about how like jobs in America are the greatest they've ever been while companies are laying people off. Um, savings is down to like nothing. Um, you know, you're like inevitable printing money has been just gone through the roof. So we have just this overabundance of cash, which is devaluing everybody's savings and everybody's income, you know? So I've just been looking at this saying like, you know, something's got to give at some point, like you, we can't just continue this forever something is going to happen. I don't know what it's going to look like or how bad it's going to be, but the recession that we experienced this year, isn't it like we're still due for something. So I've been saying that for a long time. And then in response to that, I've been telling people like, you know, you've got to secure your source of income. Like, you know, whatever that looks like people are quitting jobs to like, I I don't know what, like to go find something more remote or something. I don't, I don't know what it is that millennials think that they're looking for when they quit their jobs, but now is the not the time to do that. Secure your income. Now when layoffs come, the new people go first, right? It's new people and people with bad reviews, um, like yearly reviews at your company. So like get yep. your yearly reviews good to go, make your boss happy, fight through this recession. You can do whatever you want after the recession, but right now is not the time to be playing with your income. No. The other thing is get your emergency fund set up. So if we're at a point where we're buying stuff for Christmas on credit card, we're already screwing that up. Right. Fact. Um, we got to Like you got to have your emergency fund. And if you can't like, if your Christmas has to be skimmed this year, because you have to like keep that cash there, then it's gotta be skim. Like, I don't know, like uh, give high fives out for presents or something. Yep. Um, and then the last bit in there is like, once you've kind of secured yourself and put yourself in a position to make it through the recession, you want to be able to invest during the recession. Yep. So like major purchases, like now's not the time, new cars. Now's not the time. Like let's, uh, throw as much of the cash that we can find into stuff as possible as we go through this, because then coming out the other end is, is going to be so much more fun. Right. Yeah, I agree. And I get the allure of buying nice things. Um, I've been eyeing a 75-inch TV for my living room for the last five <laughs> Black Fridays. And I search every Black Friday deal every single year. And I have yet to buy the TV. So I'm to the point where I might start playing golf in my house <laughs> just to accidentally break it and make myself buy it. Um, 
But just I, let I me think, bring my kids over. Well, yeah, I, I, I could you. probably just let mine do it. But I think, <laughs> yeah, uh, you, you know, that's the thing is you do have to forego some expenses. Um, but if you remember back, we talked about this last episode. Uh, a bunch of people have withdrawn retirement money since COVID. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, if we've had bad markets and then you withdraw retirement money and then you spend that money and then you put money on credit cards, I, I can't even do the math on the actual financial damage you're causing. And it's because it's it could be so bad. And that's, I think, the point here. And I, I wrote an article about this. And I think if you're struggling this holiday season or if you're putting money on credit cards, you know, why not ask yourself the question, how do I save better for next year? And I gave you some ideas. And again, uh, AJ, you've shared that article on the screen. I think it's mm -hmm. huge for people to just, you know, read some of our ideas and come up with creative ways to save for Christmas. So, yeah, absolutely. I think I think you're 100% spot on all that. So, um, did you have anything else on that topic? No, I think, uh, again, we, we're going to beat this horse, but I think the moral of the story <laughs> is to plan ahead. I mean, yeah, plan right. your expenses. All right. We say that, like, be intentional and yeah. be intense, right? Those are the two things. And I think Dave says be intentional as well. So, like, for the, the Dave Ramsey crowd out there that hates me right now because I talk smack about him, like, we're on board with that part, man. Yeah, and I mean, you do talk a lot of trash about Dave Ramsey and his minions, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, at the end of the day, Dave Ramsey's like high governing principles are really good. It's mm -hmm. just we don't agree with some of the finer details, and I think you could agree with that. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like I, yeah, the you know consumer debt, like got to get rid of it. Like yeah. you know, and and I think some of his methods are extreme. Like, you know, cut up all the cards, never go into debt again. You know, obviously we advocate like, you know, debt in some situations, but like um, every bit of debt that we advocate for is like intentional and the money has to be going to something purposefully, right? And we're, ne we're never advocating for people to have a credit card to take out debt just as like a side effect of living. And that's yeah. where people got to really buckle down for this Christmas season. Like it's yeah. real easy to be like, this is what my kid wants, PlayStation 5 you know, credit card it, but that's going to cost, that's going to cost a lot this year. Yeah. You know, on a normal year that costs a lot, just an in interest payments, but this year, especially because of the recession, it's going to cost yep. even more. Yeah. If you spend five grand at Christmas and then get laid off, I, that five grand could mean a lot more than it did when you spent it. Yep. Then you're going to so. be looking at like, how do I sell all my kids stuff so I can make it through <laughs> yeah, to this next the, job? You're going to have the most angry kids in the neighborhood. Oh man. Yeah, yeah, that's not, no good. Yeah, I'm not gonna tell my kids I have to sell their toys. They'd be they'd be irate. So then and uh, the kids will rage and break the TV, and then you won't have the money to buy your 75 inch TV. Yeah, so I'll have no TV, <laughs> and they'll have no toys. Everybody loses. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, all right. Yeah. So that transitions us into the last topic. Um, you know, people who have no money. <laughs> Sam Bankman yeah. Freed <laughs> Man, and BlockFi. We're, we're on the same. <laughs> I didn't realize these all went together. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and for all you out there, we didn't plan this. We threw these together separately. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> it just so weird. happens that the uh, transitions are real smooth here today. Absolutely. That wasn't on purpose. Uh, nope. But yeah, people who have no money, Sam Bigman Freed and BlockFi. So, uh, you know, I, I know you were telling me before the show, you haven't been really keeping up on what's going on in that space. I don't think that you're a big crypto guy, right? No, That's I'm me. not. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm anti-crypto. Uh, I would call myself leery. Uh, you know, I remember a conversation I had with my dad years ago. He called me one day and he's like, Hey, you know, have you heard about this Bitcoin thing? And I was <laughs> like, 
yeah, I've read a little bit about it. He's like, well, it's like a dollar a coin. He's like, do you think we should buy some? And I was like, no, you idiot. It's a scam. And he's like, yeah, you're right. It's a scam. And then, you know, so hindsight, I can clearly see my dad is also an idiot. And so am I. So we're, yeah, that's, that's where I go for my start of it. I have a lot more respect for crypto now. I think in the early stages, not a lot of people saw Bitcoin and thought home run. And that's just naturally the way new things are. Uh, but with that being said, no, I'm not a crypto connoisseur. I've bought some crypto. I've actually sold some crypto for profit, so I've done pretty well. Um, but with that being said, I'm in no way the level you are. So, well, I think that um, like you know, everybody at some point can look back on a decision that they made, you know, financially, and be like, ah, I screwed that up. You know what I mean? Like everybody is gonna do that at some point. Like, yeah, oh, I would have remember- made more money if I did this, or you know, and then. Um, at the same time, you're also going to accidentally stumble into things that you didn't mean to stumble into, right? Like, um, my Tesla example, when I bought like Tesla shares and then just, I needed the cash. And so I sold and I didn't know I was selling at the top. So I made a whole bunch of money, but I didn't know that it was just like a pure accident and, you know, kind of chasing those things can be real dangerous. Right. So like, um, being like, you know, Oh, the next hot thing that comes out, I'm going to buy it because what if it ends up being something. Um, and that was the case with FTX and FTT. So um, FTX is a um, crypto exchange. So, you know, just a crypto exchange for everybody's knowledge is just a place where you can move stuff back and forth between other users, right? And so that's where people get confused. You like, you're, you're hop on the platform. So in my case, like DC could have like 100 Bitcoin and I'm like, oh, I want that 100 Bitcoin. So I go and put cash into the platform and then I buy that Bitcoin from him. He's that Bitcoin gets sent over to me. He now has the cash in his account. I have the Bitcoin in my account, right? So FTX itself just facilitated that trade. It didn't take anything out of that trade, um, <clears throat> but they started their own coin called FTT. And this is the part I think that gets everybody a little bit lost. And what took me so long in trying to figure this out is that what they wanted to do was artificially boost their balance sheet in order to be able to borrow against it, right? So, you know, um, we talk a lot about, you know, leverage on this channel, how the wealthy leverage, the rich leverage, everybody leverages, and they leverage against their balance sheet, like what that looks like, right? So you have um, Elon Musk has a whole bunch of Twitter, or a whole bunch of um, Tesla, sorry. (laughs) He has a whole bunch of Tesla. He doesn't want to sell the Tesla stock in order to, by Twitter, because if he does that, he's got to pay taxes on the Tesla stock. And also he loses out on any potential future gains. So what he does instead is he just borrows a whole bunch of money against the Tesla stock as collateral. And then he takes that borrowed money and he buys Twitter with it. Right. And so that way he doesn't pay taxes and he's not losing out on his gains and he does have to pay interest, but the interest comes in way underneath what the actual cost of withdrawing Tesla is, right? So Sam Bankman-Fried wants to do the same thing. He wants to borrow against his portfolio and then invest that money. He doesn't want to actually use the portfolio. But in order to do that, his portfolio has to look huge. And in order for that to take place, they came up with a plan where they um, got FTT. um, They made a new coin, FTT. They turned around and sold the coin. And then they started buying up their own coin in order to drive the demand up. And where they were getting the cash to buy that coin was they were taking people's assets that were sitting on the the exchange that people hadn't moved out of the exchange yet and um, taking the cash and then turning around and buying FTT with it, right? So like if you had, in your case, you know, you had like, um, I don't don't know what 
Bitcoin is at today. It's like 17,000, right? So yeah. if I was to buy 100 coin from you, it would cost a lot of money. So yep. like you had, let's say on the platform, you had like $100,000. I had 100 Bitcoin. What they're doing is they're scooping up that $100,000. They're scooping up that Bitcoin. They're telling you that it's still there on the platform. They're taking the Bitcoin and selling it for cash. They're taking your $100,000. They're taking all that together and they're buying FTT with it, which is buying it from themselves, right? So they're just moving the cash into their own platform. But the, the dilemma is that they're buying FTT from other people, you know, on the FTX platform. So all yep. of it looks like everything is staying in the same place. But meanwhile, their net worth is driving through the roof because FTT looks like it's in high demand. And then they can turn around and borrow against that. Well, then when all of their investments fail and at some point Binance, who owns a bunch of FTT, is like, hmm, you know, something weird on that FTX balance sheet turns around and dumps all their FTT. Now there's no money to repopulate everybody's account, right? So you, it says you have a hundred grand on the account, but there is no actual hundred grand. It doesn't, it's not there. Yeah. Right. And so what FTT has to do is, or FTX has to do is sell the FTT in order to populate your account. But now nobody's buying it. Yep. Right. So their, their, their uh, net worth sheet went from being like, we are worth $5 billion to being like, we're worth like, you know, $1 billion, like the next day. And they needed that money to like populate everyone's account. So everybody runs on FTX, tries to take their coin and their money out, but it's not actually there. And then yep. the whole thing collapses. So BlockFi did something similar. Um, and in my last episode of, of, um, of the wealthy idiot show, I talked about this part is like, Essentially, what they're trying to replicate is the fractional reserve banking system, um, which, you know, like is normal. Like we all we all normalize that. Like that's just a normal thing. Like, of course, banks are going to take the cash we put in there and lend it out and tell us that our cash is still there. Like yeah. everybody assumes that that's normal. Sam Bankman Freed does it. He fails miserably. And then we're like, this guy robbed us. <laughs> we're like, yeah, but he just was trying to do the same thing the bank systems do. He just sucked at it and he didn't have the federal reserve to print money in case he ran out that's fair yeah. true <laughs> yeah uh, I, so i will be so let me make a comparison though i mean sure. i think in on the layman's side of this it smells a lot like what bernie madoff did um which was obviously one of the i think maybe the biggest ponzi scheme there's ever been um i think the i don't even know if it's a difference but bernie madoff obviously took investors money told them he was investing it and then took it for himself. And then by the time someone would ask for their money back, he'd have new money, which he could give to the old money. And I mean, it would just recycle and continue on forever. So he's using the same principle, but he wasn't selling a coin that he made up. Um, but again, I think this is going to turn into being one of the biz biggest Ponzi schemes there's ever been. There's no way it doesn't. And uh, I, think I, I the don't hardest think it's a Ponzi scheme so much. Yeah, but what was the motive? I mean, did they know they were creating a bloated coin? Yes, but that's where the questionable part would yeah, come. Yeah, they, so, they knew it. So I mean, the um, the problem is, and I and I I discussed this too in the last show is um, when banks do this, they're doing it all with cash, yep. right? So like, you show up with a hundred dollars, you put it in the bank. The bank turns around and turns that into like a cash debt, um, you know, like asset on their sheet. So like, you know, I show up and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna take out a loan for whatever. So the bank is giving me a loan in cash. They're expecting me to pay it back in cash. 
right? So as far as the bank is concerned, the value of cash is, is mean, it doesn't matter, right? Because you're lending cash out, you're getting cash back. All, all you have to worry about is um, like how many people are going to default and how do I cover defaults, right? That's it. Yep. Um, you don't have to worry about exchanging currency in order to make sure you're meeting expectations. So I think what, um, you know, Sam Bankman free tried to do with FTX was the same thing, but he had to convert everything he had into cash and then he converted it into his own coin. And then at the end of the day, he had to convert it all back in order to pay everybody back. And then now the conversion rates start to jack you up. Correct. Right. Yep. So like where the bank doesn't have the conversion rate problem, you're gambling a little bit on the, you know, the crypto side, because now you have the conversion rate problem. And as soon as the conversion rate, you know, changed enough, that's all it took. Yeah. So and I don't I guess necessarily think it was a Ponzi scheme because he wasn't paying new people with, or he wasn't paying old people with new money. Well, right. He may have been. Think about that for a second. <laughs> yeah. I mean, possibly, but <laughs> so, I, I still don't think that that qualifies as the same thing. Yeah. But I think I, what I, he did is he leveraged and I, yes, I see what you're saying though. Big. This would have been no different than if he would have went and YOLO'd, you know, all the deposits on Kathy Woods, you know, Ark K fund and yeah. lost 60%. And, and yeah. that would be the same thing. I mean, the question is when he's investing in his own fund, that's called a fund for the sake of this, because it's equivalent. Sure. Um, I guess the question is, did you give your, was your fund getting artificially driven by your own deposits? Oh, hundred percent. So I think that's where the, I think that's where the fraud comes in and that maybe Ponzi schemes the wrong term, but I think proving fraud on that fact would be pretty easy. I think that's where yeah. he's going to, he's going to go behind some, uh, yeah, sparkly silver bars for a while. I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think the analogy would be like, if you were going to leverage and let's say you wanted to buy, um, some investment, like you want to buy a company, right? And so you go to the bank and you're like, look, I want to buy this company. I need some cash and capital to make that happen. And they're like, what do you have as collateral for this loan? And you're like, well, I have this painting and like five people say they're all willing to pay me a million dollars for it. Right. And then the bank being like, okay, like that sounds good. And then whenever you can't pay the loan back because the company fails, the bank shows up and they're like, we're going to need that painting from you. <laughs> right. And, uh, now that and like nobody actually wants to buy it, it's something your kids like threw together. Yeah. Except the difference is they're gonna show up and they're gonna be like, you know, we need you to sell that painting to pay us a million dollars, and you're gonna be like, yeah, that's gonna sell for five bucks. Like that's all I got, man. Like I actually have to pay some yeah. homeless dude to take it. <laughs> and they're like, who who are these five people that like um you know wanted this painting, and you were gonna say like, oh, their names were you know. DC <laughs> Pock, but with a K at the end. Um, exactly. You know, like just yep. five variants of your own name. Yep. Right. That's essentially what happened here. So like how then, like um, obviously being on any kind of platform carries risk, right? So like this isn't something I had really thought about before all this took place, but um, like I put my money into E-Trade and then, you know, I invest it in E-Trade, right? That's the, the brokerage I use the most. I also have Weeble, uh, Schwab, my own bank. Like I got a bunch of different places where I'm, you know, I'm investing stuff, but I don't ever expect E-Trade to like fall apart. <laughs> I expect like my investments to be bad. So now yeah. I have the added risk of the exchange falling apart. What, like, what do we do in order to make sure that that doesn't like we're safe in that situation? 
Yeah, I think uh, there's a couple of things. I mean, one is traditional banks are covered by FDIC insurance. So I think FDIC insurance per bank per person covers 250000 So you're talking a married couple at one bank is covered up to half a million. So, you know, you could realistically say that would cover like 99% of Americans with just a couple banks. So I think that's the most, you know, just obvious solution. Um, there are also, uh, you know, there's securities. Um, I don't remember what it's called, but basically securities are backed also in a different way. So I think if you're investing with Vanguard, Fidelity, you know, Schwab, E-Trade, as you mentioned, I think you're fairly safe. You also have to remember if you're investing with a fund that's been around for 35 years um, and it's institutionally backed, I think you can put a little bit more stock in how safe it is. So, you know, for example, if you launch an ETF tomorrow and, you know, you and I are good friends, but if you come to me and you're like, hey, I just built this <laughs> ETF, it's awesome. It's going to make you 15% the first year. I'm immediately, regardless of what you say, I'm going to be like, no, it's not. I don't, I don't buy it. I'm going to want to see like five <laughs> or 10 years of sustained performance. So I think if you're buying proven funds, um, you know, that undergo thorough scrutiny from various monitoring agencies and, you know, morning stars all over it and all those, I think you're probably safer. Okay. So you're saying like, you know, put your money into things that are insured for most people. We don't have to care about, you know, in, insuring something for a million plus you're saying, you know, most of us won't have over 250 in like any given institution. Yep. So I think that that's fair. You know, most of us won't have 250. <laughs> Agree. Yeah. You know, so I think that you're safe. Like if you're just putting into your, um, you know, like your Roth IRA, your 401k, those things are all you know, FDIC insured for the most part, as long as, um, you know, it's with a credible institution and then to put it, then once you have it in the institution to put it into funds that have a longstanding, um, you know, very, very spotlighted, I guess you could say, like, you know, like you said with Morningstar, like people are paying attention to it that are way higher profile than we are, you know, is probably a good way to go. Yeah. And then, um, the, the thing I also said on my channel was like, if you are going to get spicy into some of this stuff, um, you know, like I have crypto in a wallet, first of all. So I have my own crypto wallet. I have crypto in my wallet, right? Cause they say not your, what do they say? If you don't have the keys, you don't own the asset. You know, that's yeah. a big crypto thing that people say a lot. So I have yep. wallet and then I have, um, crypto on exchanges on two separate platforms. Right. So the idea being like, if this platform fails, <laughs> this one, yeah, will you've pick got it another up. one. Yep. Yeah. And one of the platforms, I think, well, I know that Weeble is FDIC insured, but, um, they only trade in, in like two coin. Yep. And I have a feeling that has to do with the insurance. Let's yep. see. Let's see. Crypto insurance. I don't know if, uh, if we'll get anything here. All right, so, no, hey, so it's, it's still not back. it's still not insured. So there there may it's be not... no insured uh, crypto. Yeah. Okay. So I'm looking it up here. Um, they do they go through a, um, an exchange called Apex Crypto. So Weeble itself doesn't actually handle it. It goes through its own exchange. But even then, like Weeble has a vested interest in making sure that Apex is doing their job properly, right? Whereas yep. You know, nobody has an interest in making sure that FTX was doing their job properly. And then the very few people that did have an interest, once they figured out what was going on, they backed out quick. Yep. Yeah, so I just read uh, there's something called SIPC, which is not the equivalent mm -hmm. of FDIC insurance. 
uh, but it basically protects you against a failing brokerage house. So uh, that mm. would actually cover you in the situation of FTX. Um, in part, FTX, the brokerage, perpetrated a lot of this. So in my example, mm. I use Fidelity. So if I use Fidelity and I had a whole bunch of money in underlying ETFs and Fidelity started to fail, I think I would be protected from the Fidelity brokerage side of the house. And that's the same uh, 250000 as well. So. Okay. Actually, so is yeah, like two hundred fifty thousand like limit for cash and five hundred thousand total. Like who? What? Like what platforms are SIPC insured? Or do you get your own insurance with it? No, it sounds like it is. Uh, it says oh, no. it covers customers of failed brokerage firms. <laughs> no. Yeah. So here you go. I'm gonna um I'm gonna take over sharing. Do you want to release it here? Uh, yep. Hold on. And just so you know, I need to get off. Yeah, for sure. We'll we'll close out here. All right. Alrighty. Let me share this real quick, and then we'll close out. So there you go. Beware the companies that hold your crypto aren't insured the way banks are. And this came out November 13th, right after this happened. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting time. Yep. So, yeah. So, you know, um, the other thing I said, too, the last bit here is that um, the amount of a portfolio I have that's not, you know, that's in crypto, that's not in something insured is significantly less than 5%. It's it's probably around two and a half of my whole portfolio, right? So if people are watching and they're thinking like, you know, oh, I want to get into some of this stuff, I, I'm all for it. I love the concept of crypto. I think a decentralized currency is super cool. Um, I hate the fact that money can just be printed, right? And, you know, like I can't print it. I'm stuck with the amount of money that I can, you know, acquire, but yep. somebody out there is printing money and just handing it out to people. And, um, that is very frustrating and crypto doesn't have the same problem. Right. So I, I love that fact. So, um, I like the concept and I'm going to invest in it. But if, um, you know, if you're taking my advice, it would be don't sell your soul to get into crypto. Yep. I'm you know, a little bit is okay. And enough where if you lost it, you'd be like, ah, well, it was a good try. Right. I mean, that's, that's the amount that you should probably put into it. Yep. Agree. Yeah. And I would, I would do the same thing with, I, I mean, the same caution goes for penny stocks. I mean, if oh, you're thinking, yeah. oh, my buddy made, he bought this stock at three cents and it went up to 30 and he made 10 grand. Well, you got it. Well, do you, are you okay with losing the initial investment? Cause there's a lot of times where a yeah. 0.03 stock goes to 0. 0.00003. <laughs> and I won't give you the math on that, but that's a lot less. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it goes both ways. So just be cautious. And if you're investing in a more risky manner, just understand it could go away. Yeah, very true. All right. Well, those are the topics we have for today. Do you have any last second comments before you take off? Uh, nope. Last thoughts. I think we stick with the same planning topic, uh, planning, planning, planning. So again, you make a plan, you try to stick to it and all these pieces fit into a plan together. It ensures you don't ex overexpose yourself to one risk or another. So obviously neither one of us would have a hundred percent of our assets in FTX for that very reason. Um, so I just, you know, think, make sure you make a plan and you understand why you're doing what you're doing. That's my, uh, my parting words for future idiots. I love it. I tell everyone, hey, the storm is coming, but that means we can protect ourselves. And like DC is saying, we can plan, we can make sure we're all set, we're all safe and secure, and 
you know, the other side of these storms is a lot of fun, you know, like what they say, wealth is made in a bear market. Yep. Right. So as everything is, is low and depressing and you put money in and you immediately lose it, you know, we've been doing that this whole time, right? Yep. You put in cash and the next day, the value of that asset goes down, right? We've been doing that like, um, all the way through 2021, pretty much 2022. Yeah, yeah, 12 months. All the way through 2022. And yep. we'll keep doing it, right? Absolutely. Because, you know, we want to at some point be on this show excited about what had happened um, when this whole thing turns around and we're actually making money and we can brag about, you know, all of our accomplishments yeah. at that point. So Absolutely. And we'll show some of the trades we made monthly later on. Um, we'll rewind and show how some of this worked out. So we'll give you some, uh, some legit data. So stand, oh, yeah. stay tuned for that one. It's coming. I love it. All right. Well, thanks for stopping and, uh, you know, fitting us in your schedule, DC. We super appreciate it. Thanks to everyone that checked us out. If you haven't yet, throw us down a like and a subscribe. We would appreciate it greatly and we can get as much information as possible. WealthyIdiots.com. We're we're tossing articles down. There's calculators there. All of our videos that come out are there. Check that out. Throw your email into that website so you can get updates as to when anything new comes out and you don't miss anything important. Tax season is going to be coming up before we know it. Um, and we're going to drop a bunch of tax season articles like we did last year. So, you know, make sure you don't miss that. Stay tuned. And I super appreciate it. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks, guys.